Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 187. I'm Rob Wright, Security News Director at Tech Target, and I am here with security news writer Alex Kalafi. Alex, welcome. Hey Rob, how you doing? Hey, um, I'm good. It's we are in the uh dog days of summer. Mm-hmm. We are recording this on July 14th. Yep. On a Thursday. We are a little over the midway point of 2022. And I thought, we thought, it'd be a good idea to do a summary of what's been happening with ransomware through the first two quarters, first six months of the year, because a lot has happened. Yes. So much has happened. I was just thinking about this the other day. Like when you think about, you know, Conti leaks and Conti apparently closing down and other groups sort of closing down or rebranding, but they're sort of connected and they're sort of doing this. And, you know, it's so much going on. And then to say nothing of the actual attacks, what's been going on sort of post Russia's invasion of Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. A lot going on. Um, but I, I guess we should start, Alex, with just sort of the the 30,000 foot view of ransomware, at least for the US. A number of public officials, government officials have discussed um, an apparent decrease in activity, mm-hmm. a drop in attacks against the US or against US targets over the last few months, sort of post Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And there've been a lot of reasons why people have um, uh, hypothesized that there's been a drop. Uh, I believe uh, Rob Joyce, I think both at RSA and other events has sort of discussed um, how sanctions are believed to have had an effect on some of these groups. Um, we have obviously noticed a drop in activity with the own with our own data that we've been tracking. Uh, Search Security this year started tracking public reports and disclosures of ransomware attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are just the disclosures and and confirmations, confirmed reports, whether in the media or whatever, through um, you know a victim organization's own channels, press releases, announcements, whatever. Uh, that an attack has occurred. So not just, you know, oh, um, Conti says that they attacked this company. Uh, try to get a little bit more confirmation, obviously, that an attack has, has occurred. Um, and I think at the beginning of the year, in January, there was 40-something attacks that had been disclosed or reported. And some of those attacks had taken place the previous month or two. Or, or even further back in some cases. Uh, I don't know the exact number offhand. I, I think at one point it was like 45, but that number fluctuates because some of those um, disclosures or reports, you, you know, we may find that one or two of them um, are not classic ransomware attacks. They may just be data thefts and extortion and we're only tracking actual ransomware malware attacks. Um, so this database that we've been um, filling over the last six months is sort of a living, breathing document. The numbers are subject to change. The information is subject to, ta- to change. But yeah, so went from like 40 something and now it's 
it's been under 20 the last several months, I believe. So definitely a change there. Um, you wrote a story recently, Alex, just sort of talking to various people, um, I guess at, at RSA conference. And uh, is that right? Yeah, it was it was generated from conversations with people at RSA. There were also some good panels about ransomware at RSA. Yes. Yeah. So what I mean, what what did you hear summarize uh, or highlight some of the things that you've been hearing and writing about um, in terms of the ransomware landscape? What's been happening there? So ransomware is cybercrime, which means that it is crime, which means that it is a uh, illegal thing and a bad thing. Not bad. I mean, whatever. Like, but like it is a pretty morally bad thing pretty much right yes but what is strange to me is saying that and then noticing ransomware's rise as like a maturing industry Mm. more than uh like crime like at a cd underground like ransomware is getting more elaborate and like professional um and complicated and i'll i'll give you a few examples so Ransomware as a service is like one of the big things I was hearing from people, Uh, sort of ransomware operators that may in some cases conduct their own attacks. But for the most part, they're selling their tools out to uh, smaller time actors, um, these high end tools to conduct their own attacks, which means that you can have a pretty small operation that can sort of punch above their punching weight. And this is Mm -hmm. getting uh, pretty common over time and the barrier to entry has never been lower as I understand it. Um, the other part of that is that, um, extortion is no longer just encryption. And then, uh, your vials will be encrypted. Um, if you don't pay us, it's now like first there was the double extortion of, um, of the, uh, will leak your data. Now mm. there are cases where they'll just steal and threaten to leak the data mm. there, uh, which some people call extortion, where I think it's all the same. I think it's that's a semantics issue at a certain yeah. point. It doesn't really matter uh, what we call it. It just it is the issue. And then there have been some limited cases that have happened of like DDoS attacks, adding like a quote unquote triple extortion, a little gimmicky at that point. And then I've even heard the term quadruple extortion, though that seems very theoretical. Um And so it feels a lot like, okay, the attacks are getting, there may be less attacks that we're seeing reported. Although, honestly, there's such a big data gap between how many attacks are happening and how much are reported to different people that who knows, right? Mm -hmm. How many attacks are actually occurring. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I would almost ignore that point personally in favor of ransomware feels like a maturing industry. And... Uh, in response to that, the government and public sector and private uh, sector are kind of taking a more coordinated effort towards some of this yeah. stuff, at least in the education department of shouting from the rooftops, hey, this is a huge problem and you need to handle it. And cyber insurance is getting more complicated, which should hopefully uh, or la- rather the requirements for coverage are getting more difficult, which should uh, mean the quality of protection across the board should get better as people want to get covered by ransomware insurance. We'll see. But my overall point with all that said and done is 
I don't know if there's less ransomware. I believe the reports that it is, but it's the thing that's more striking to me is ransomware maturing as an industry, despite the fact that it is a morally bad crime. And I find that very interesting. Yeah, I, I'll stay on that because I, I do think, you know, whether you believe the numbers or not, or the, the, the prognosticator saying that activity has dropped or not, and we'll discuss that. We'll circle back to that in a minute. You know, a number of experts are saying that, like, okay, it's not just the volume of activity out there. Let's really look at how this threat is evolving. And to your point, the way that ransomware as a service really isn't just sort of, you know, it's not just sort of a shoddy operation on a, you know, a dark web forum, the way that these groups can sometimes just close down, spring up again as a rebranded operation, the amount of uh, 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 the layers that these operators have set up to sort of, um, you know, initiate these attacks and sort of insulate themselves and hide their identities. And still yet you have something like Conti leaks, which we've discussed in the past. Um, but overall, it, beca- it seems like it's becoming more of a, I hate using the word sophisticated operation, but it does seem like it's, to your point, it's, it's a more mature business model, uh, quote unquote. And the thing that is really... The thing that's really worrying me, um, or that's caught my eye at least, I don't know how successful this is going to be in in terms of like changing the ransomware landscape, but how aggressive the threat actors have gotten in terms of pressuring um, victims to pay by like calling or contacting the customers of an organization, the patients. Um, students, families, if it's a school, and just really aggressively, like, I mean, like threatening and harassing them to a point. And that just, that's, and, and now you have something like some of these groups are creating data, searchable databases, like a have I been pwned? Oh, your company or your employer or your, you know, business partner has been hit with a ransomware attack and we stole data. If you want to see if you were effect- affected, just roll right in here and search. Um, the, just to make it more user-friendly to find out if a company has been hit and how, and how devastating that attack may have been is really interesting, um, and concerning. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and it's, it's happening in a lot of different ways too, because yeah. there was that one a couple of years ago where the psychotherapy practice yes. got hit and then the, uh, patients were uh, getting contacted, which is yep. obviously despicable. Yep. And then there, I, I wrote a story that went up yesterday about like high ransomware decryptor. And then I was reading Microsoft's blog that sort of was about this version of Hive, which had a decryption tool put out for it. And it had a sample of the ransom note. And what I noticed about that ransom note sample is it had stuff like don't hire negotiators because they're going to fail. Like it's interesting stuff like the language they're putting in ransom notes is way more complicated now than the broken English uh, pay us or we will leak your data. I mean, it's still sometimes like not perfect, uh, not perfect. uh, This is imperfect, I guess, but imperfect grammar. 
Um, but it's like the language being used is more complicated and more trying to get right to the gut of whoever's reading that note on the victim end. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like more aggressive and just looking at some of the, um, you know, some of these, these negotiation chats are still, you know, you, if you know where to go, you can observe them and see them. They're, they're semi-public, um, really aggressive and really sort of threatening. Um, and I suppose that sort of, that is a, a diversion from, you know, that, that concept of a ransomware operation as a business, because for years you would hear them say, you know, this is just a business. This is nothing personal. We want to work with you. We want to get you your data back. Uh, you know, here's your customer service rep. But in some of these cases with some groups, you know, it's, it's really threatening and foreboding. And, um, you know, I don't know if that represents, I don't know if it signifies like a, that they're more desperate, that maybe attacks are down, that they're not as successful as they used to be. And that when they do pull off an attack, they, they really, they're, they're more aggressive because they need to get paid. Um, Mm. So I don't know. Well, okay. I actually don't know if I disagree or agree or whatever, but here's, here's my sort of food for thought on that point. Yes. Is like, um, I don't know if this is the case. Obviously I know there are ransomware actors around the world in different circumstances, yada, yada, yada. But I have a feeling that these big ransomware actors that are attempting to hit enterprises and can get to the point where someone becomes a victim. I question whether they're living hand to mouth that they're that desperate to hit a quota. Um, I just, I I think the makeup of these groups is like, even if they're technically sophisticated, they're kind of clumsy in other ways. Yep. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That was just my sort of take. No, I mean, it it could be. And I, it's, it's obviously hard to tell because, you know, you, there are a number of threat analysts, threat intelligence firms, security vendors out there, research, independent researchers that, monitor these groups that track them on the dark web that read the communications that are undercover so to speak you know you have the conti leaks that provided a pretty clear view of what that group how that group operated and what they how they talked and communicated with one another so you know a lot of uh information was was um extracted from those private communications about how these guys operate and what they believe and how they approach things. Um, so, but it's still really tough to tell like how, I don't, I don't know what they're feeling moment to moment about, you know, what the government is doing, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether victims are really paying or not, what, what are the biggest obstacles for them to get paid at this point? Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a mystery, but, you know, I, I do know that the, it seems like, Somebody told me this a, a while back and they, they sort of said, you know, in terms of ransomware and how it's, it's changing and evolving, it's like, you know, they, ransomware works. Threat actors, cybercrime gangs use ransomware and commit ransomware attacks because it works. Because, you know, if you hit an organization and encrypt all their data and you, you know, the operations are ground to a halt, they're going to pay. And even mm-hmm. when the operations are only partially ground to a halt, 
with something like Colonial Pipeline, where you're, it's just your IT systems and it's not your OT, still ground to a halt. Operations stopped. Ga gas panic. Um, you know, congressional hearings, mayhem. But the other thing this person said was was basically, if they're if they're changing things, and they have to resort to more aggressive methods and extortion methods, and like if if you have to leak the name, if you have to leak the data, if you have to contact customers and patients, you have to do all this stuff. They wouldn't be doing it for no reason. They're not doing it because they're like, you know what? Sitting around, you know, in, in their in their gaming chair and whatever bunker they're hunkered down in. You know, I, I think we should change things up. We're making millions of dollars, but you know, I think we should we should try to get a little bit more creative. That's not that's not how these guys operate. They're changing things because they have to. Mm -hmm. Because the way that they were doing it before is not quite working to the level that they want it to. Um, and if that sort of signifies that there's been some, I guess, improvement, if there's been some progress made in reducing the number of victims that are paying, assisting those victims, um, tracking cryptocurrency payments, finding out how these groups operate, um, and, and just finding these guys and identifying them then I think that that's a good thing. I, I, I still don't know if that means that overall activity is really down as much as, you know, as, as least as our numbers would indicate in terms of disclosures and public reports. Um, I'm skeptical. I'm pessimistic by nature. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, uh, I don't want to believe that this is, I mean, I do want to believe that this is true, but I can't. Um, I don't know. You you said that you're more inclined to believe that there's a drop, and I think there's good evidence to suggest that. But what? Why do you feel like there may be a, a reduction, like an actual reduction? Well, I think that argument you mentioned that um, if the attacks are getting more aggressive, then that means something's working, uh, which is is a paraphrase, of course. But I, I think that's a very compelling argument, and and probably more eloquent than the one. I would have probably said, but I, I definitely think there's probably something to that because from what we know about a lot of ransomware actors that aren't tied to a nation state, it mm. is a lot of random people. Like yep. it is tech savvy, but a lot of random people. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand that ransomware actors are getting more organized and, and like there are more people tied to these organizations now. So they're getting more professional, but I don't think it's like, a tech company like caring about how they can innovate because they're, right. they're just trying to get paid for, yep. by the end people. So if they're trying to get paid, like that's that they're that's a compelling argument that something must be working, which is, um, which is obviously like very nice to, to, to think, but I, I, it's hard to say um, because in the short term, like Sophos put out data from their ransomware report of yep. 5,400 people. That's like, hey, of the people we talked to, 66% uh, of people got got impacted by ransomware in some way. It, it wasn't incredible. 66, but it was like something. No, it was 66. Yeah. Up from 37% in 2020. It's incredible. Yeah. So it's like, okay, maybe in the war, the so-called war um, of like sort of making ransomware less of a problem. Mm -hmm. There is progress being made at the moment though. I, 
I mean, ask any enterprise that got hit by ransomware and had to yeah. recover from it. And they're going to be like, I'm not so sure ransomware is getting better. So it's kind of yeah. hard to say. Well, I, you know, you mentioned the Sophos report. I'll, I'll just bring this just went live, I think, a couple days ago. But the Institute for Security and Technology, which they uh, formed a, I think last year, the their own sort of ransomware task force to work with, you know, other organizations in the private sector, not to be confused with, um, you know, the FBI and CISA's sort of um, ransomware task force or DOJ's ransomware task force. Uh, they put out a report for, this is 2021. They found more than 4,000 ransomware incidents, documented ransomware incidents, with at least 60 families of, of, or variants of different ransomware, 109 countries. And the U.S., I think, if I have this right, yeah, it was about a, about 2,000. So it was about half the attacks. 2,000 in just 2021. You know, I'm, I'm doing the math in my head, Alex. You know, our database is tracking, you know, let's say uh, a little over um, 100, uh, maybe 100, between 100 and 150 through mm-hmm. six months. That if I'm, we're missing a lot of attacks. Well, we are missing maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we're only capturing through public disclosure and confirmed reports a fraction of of actual attacks. So our visibility into this is extremely low. And there, we should note there are a number of experts out there, different cybersecurity vendors, different threat analysts out there have said, you know, they've, they've said, you know, we, we've seen the reports from, or the comments from, uh, different, uh, government officials, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's Rob Joyce or whoever. And we, you know, we disagree. We don't think there's been a, a, a big drop in ransomware. We're, that's not something we're seeing. So, Mm-hmm. I don't know, like that, that 2000 in just 2021 alone, that is staggering. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, at a certain point with so many ransomware families and attacks is ransomware is basically a vertical at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's the visibility thing's interesting. So, so I love the, um, I love the sort of database uh, that, that uh, you and, and especially Peyton made. Uh, yes. Shout out, shout out to Peyton, of course, uh, over the last few months. Um, but one thing I sort of noticed from looking at it is that obviously because you can really only track the disclosures, like you can't just contact yeah. random companies. Yeah. You're, there, well, there's I mean, been, we, we do contact a, a lot of them that we see pop up on like these dark web lists, but you know. No, but I mean, on a sheer brute force numbers basis, there's only so much you can see at any given Mm -hmm. time, which means that if you look at that list, the bulk of what you're going to see is that you're going to see enterprises somewhere around the world. You're going to see, I guess, small town or education sort of relevant things that have to disclose. Mm -hmm. And that's most of it. It's not all of it, but it is most of it is our people who have to disclose the SMBs that are just randomly getting hit by ransomware. We're not going to see the, however many of those, the giant random um, companies that may be out in like the Midwest and, and handle like, uh, I don't know, uh, some, some random uh, industrial business that gets hit by a ransomware attack. Right. Probably won't see those. 
Um, and and uh, and the ones happening to individuals, like obviously we don't see the individuals because there's probably still a ton of ransomware notes going out that are just like the ones in 2015, 2016, or it's just we encrypted your files, pay us. Yeah. So like it's it's not at the disparagement of the very great database that's come out, but it is sort of like a uh, it sort of illustrates how limited the scope of visibility is you look at the ic3 numbers the fbi ic3 they're gonna have completely different numbers than um than the ones that sophos has than mandiant has i guess mandiant's part of microsoft than than google has or or whoever uh is tracking this stuff right so no one has the same data and I guess if everyone notices the same trends, that's valuable, but there's such a data gap and there's such a data gap with the lower end ransomware, as I understand it, or then that, that the lower end attacks where it's not $10 million uh, ransoms that it's like, okay, there's less attacks, but like one, are there two, what does that mean? And three, there are all these other issues that it's like, can we even process that information appropriately? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, one thing to note is, you know, Peyton has talked about his Peyton Doyle, our um, now former mm-hmm. co-op uh, from Northeastern U, a huge, huge part of, of putting this database together and tracking it. Um, shout out to Peyton again. Mm-hmm. Is a lot of these attacks, I, mean, I mentioned at the top of the, of the discussion, a lot of these disclosures are for attacks that maybe happen a month, two months, some in some cases, some rare cases, like almost a year earlier. And, you know, we check things like Massachusetts, Maine, uh, Montana. There's other states, um, you know, att- attorney general offices that track this stuff um, and that required like, hey, if you if a data breach at a company that is based in California affects more than 50 or 100 citizens of my state, you've got to you you have to disclose it to me mm-hmm. publicly. You have to send a letter and you got to tell me. And um, that's how we got a lot of the uh, data about the different organizations that are hit. And so there's definitely a lag in the time. And to your point about the type of organizations that are getting hit, there's definitely a wide middle. There's, you know, you have your colonial pipelines, you have your type of businesses that if something happens, it's really hard for them to hide it. Yep. It's it's just, they're visible public companies and you can't just be like, well, our registers are down for today and tomorrow and maybe, you know, all of next week or whatever, or, you know, we're not taking any reservations um, for the foreseeable future or whatever. It's just, it's not something that can be easily hid. And then there's also the smaller companies that, I mean, they don't know how to respond to something like this. They don't have an incident response plan. They don't have a contact at Mandiant or whoever. And when something happens, again, it's because of the small size of that business, it's really hard for them to um, to hide it and to, co- to co- cover it up, for lack of a better term, and just sort of move past it. There's yeah, a lot of mid-market and even some smaller enterprises or less visible enterprises where this is just, they get hit, their data goes up on a leak site, and they just deny and deny and deny and deny. 
And if no customer data they was affected, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if no customer data is affected, then they don't have to disclose it. Yep. So, and those attacks are like, we sort of have, like, we track, you know, what we think are likely attacks. We don't publish that, but like, there's a lot of them out there just based on the different leak sites where we're like, yeah, this company was probably hit, you know, but they haven't publicly confirmed it and they haven't put any type of data breach notification or anything like that out. So you can't really put them on the list. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a conundrum. It's, we have a, and I know I've said this before and I sound like a broken record, but we just have terrible visibility into the problem in this country. Terrible visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is the culture of companies not wanting to admit that they've been hit with ransomware and looking for ways around it, getting their legal teams, their lawyers or whoever to navigate around, you know, disclosures and whatnot. Um, and part of it is that there's not more requirements for it. And, you know, if you are lucky enough to get to, to evade some of those thresholds for different states that have strong, you know, cyber attacker data breach disclosure laws, then you're, you're, you're off the hook. Yep. And unless the company voluntarily confirms it, there's no way for us, at least for our purposes, for what we want to include in the database, confirming that an actual attack has, has taken place. So yeah, it's a long way of saying I'm, I'm sure that our numbers are only capturing a fraction of what's really happening in the U S it's just, it's tough to tell what fraction is that? Is it a third? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? You know, it's just tough to tell. So, yeah, I, I would uh, obviously advocate for transparency in, in pretty much every facet of life, including ransomware attacks and especially ransomware attacks. Um, but uh, there was there was an interesting quote from Mark Rogers, who leads up cybersecurity at uh, Okta. Let me find it. It is oh, right. Yeah, that is uh, relevant. OK. Yep. He's seen improvement in transparency. He said, I I think that there is a much stronger desire to be transparent. I've been around three decades and when it, and when I started, it was unheard of for a company to talk about being hit by a cyber attack. Now I would say it's normal for companies to talk about it. The challenge comes in how much they talk about, what do they say, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes on now, Mm -hmm. something I wonder about, and I forget if any sources talk to me about this, but it's something I'm sort of curious about is let's say, that every single time there was a ransomware attack, people had to disclose, legally compelled. And mm. I know that when you take cybersecurity, when you take anything technological and legal compulsion, it, it's like uh, it's like water and oil. The two, like people don't like to combine those two. Nope. But if you if you were to legally require, and we had a pretty complete data set of ransomware attacks that were happening because everyone had to disclose some exceptions, but let's say pretty much everyone had to disclose. I'm wondering if the shame associated with it or the fear that your your business will be destroyed will go down, which would encourage hopefully more SMBs to disclose. I'm not on the ground floor. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it is something I wonder. Yeah, I th- I definitely think the stigma is not quite there, but I also know that like there's just a mentality to not let 
these types of things out because what if you're one of the fraction of uh, companies out there that get put under the microscope by class action lawsuits, the FTC, whatever governmental authority out there that starts asking questions about why didn't you do do a better job? Mm-hmm. Why'd you pay? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? I mean, Colonial Pipeline, we've talked about this. I thought they did an excellent job in sort of explaining why, how they reacted the way that they did, what what they what steps they took, and and specifically why they paid, which I disagreed with the decision, but they were very upfront and they were very, they answered a lot of tough questions. But nobody wants to go before Congress. Nobody wants to have the FTC probing like. So I I think yes, the stigma is definitely not what it used to be. But I just think there are a lot of lawyers out there that are looking at this from a liability perspective and just saying, let's just keep this under wraps. We don't want to get calls. We don't want to have to go to Washington. We don't, we don't need this aggravation because this just could, this could snowball and lead to lawsuits and fines. And we don't, let's just avoid that. Sure. So, but we'll see. I, I, I mean, I, I remember reading that portion of your story and just being like, you know, I think there's something to this. I think there is more of an effort to be transparent, but we still have so, so far to go. Yeah. I mean, compared to European countries, some European countries, the way that they disclose these types of attacks is just incredible. And they're really helpful too. Mm hmm. It is uh, it is interesting that uh, something I didn't include in the story because because I didn't have enough information to follow through was that Octo was hit by I think it was lapsus a lapsus, few months ago. Right. Yep. And I did ask about it uh, like right after I asked this question, in fact, and and I did get an answer of like, well, uh, we're still sort of figuring it out. There will be more to say on the lessons learned, but we we don't I guess we don't know enough. something like that. Um which is kind of uh, so Mark, awesome person, love talking to him, but it was almost like a little pocket of there is still a ways to go on full transparency in these attacks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, we've got six more months in 2022. We'll see if the, you know, apparent drop in activity is, is real. Um, or if it continues, uh, we'll continue tracking public disclosures and reports, confirmed reports here at Search Security. We'll see what shakes loose uh, as we move toward the end of 2022. But yeah, it's it's been an interesting year so far. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Sure. Um, Alex, thank you very much for offering your insights and for discussing ransomware. I know it's one of your favorite subjects. (laughs) It's one of my only subjects. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. And thank you you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we'll see you next time.